Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past, but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. All July at Criteria for Success, we've been writing and talking about issues related to remote teams. You can check out our blog for best practices, information, and advice for you and your team. In this CFS Talk Sales Roundtable, we'll be talking about managing remote teams. In the world of sales, some people have always worked remotely. It's actually one of the original places where remote teamwork um, was implemented. And as the way we work has changed, this has become an even bigger topic for discussion. I really hope that you enjoy today's discussion. This is Elizabeth Frederick, Operations Officer and Senior Advisor. And with me today, I have our Director of Marketing, Rebecca Toomey. She just published an ebook called The Ultimate Guide to Managing a Remote Sales Team. Hello. We have our CEO, Charles Bernard. Hi there. Our Marketing and Sales Coordinator, Ariana Miskell. Hello. And then I am super excited to introduce our intern for the summer, Ian Goldsmith. He's here for the next couple months, and he's going to be joining us for this episode as well as the next CFS Roundtable. Hello, everyone. Uh, as always, you can find the notes for today's show on our website at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod six, seven. So let's get started. Um, I'd love to hear from everybody. Just what are some trends that you've noticed in remote work lately? I'll start us off this fine podcast. And I'm going to say something that is probably related to what everyone else has to say about this question. And it's that remote work, it has become so ubiquitous today because it's more possible than ever. Um, technology and the digital era of business that we're in has made working more flexible and wherever you work, um, as long as there's Wi-Fi and electricity, you're pretty much good, I would say, for the majority of jobs. Um, I look at my mom's a real estate agent. She used to always have to go into the office for even just like using specific websites. And now she never has to go in. She can work from home. So there's just a lot more flexibility. Definitely. Um, I had kind of a similar thought in that you're seeing more people with different kinds of jobs that are able to work remotely now. Um, like I said in the intro, you really, um, in the past, it was very common to have like traveling salespeople and only certain jobs really were were people able to do from home. But now you're seeing people in all kinds of jobs where maybe in the past it wasn't even possible to do it from home or, or remotely, um, and that's possible. Um, we see a lot of times that with um, with the speeds especially of you know, home internet have, have really increased. And so in the past, it might not have been feasible. Um, and I know people who work in a different city or even different country from the rest of their teams and are really able to communicate so much more easily than they were in the past. So I'm seeing in terms of trends, um, because real estate is at a premium, especially in cities like New York, LA, and other cities in the Northeast, um, people have become much more accustomed to working from home or even in shared office spaces like WeWork. Mm -hmm. uh, even the large corporations are doing things like hoteling, where no one seems to have a permanent, in, in these particular corporations, a permanent desk. They come into a small space, they attend a meeting, they do some work, and then they go back home. Definitely. That, um, that's something that we see so much of, you know, thinking about cities, especially um, San Francisco. I know this is a big challenge everywhere in Silicon Valley and even up into um, the Seattle area. 
these areas are so they're growing so quickly and it's mm. a great place for companies it's very dynamic you can find especially when you start up a, a lot of interesting and, and valuable employees but then you want to grow the team and nobody can afford to move there and so to really just be able to say okay we've got our core team maybe that's here that's been here but we need to enable remote working for all the people who we want to work for us but they literally you know we don't want them living in their car <laughs> that's very true yeah and um for the millennials who uh you know are hopping on the trend a lot of them like to travel a lot of them like to see the world and don't necessarily want to invest in an apartment in an expensive city or in a home so nowadays one of the big trends is uh co-working spaces which you can find all over there in berlin tokyo even in resort locations like bali and um barbados uh it's really cool now that as uh young people can travel and see the world and experience that, but they can still have a full-time job. Uh, and that's one of the biggest things you've probably seen it on Facebook or Instagram. They're very trendy nowadays. Definitely. That's very cool. And as someone who's worked remotely on and off for my whole career, I've noticed kind of a bigger shift towards remote work really within the last couple of years. And mm-hmm. I, I even grew up with you used the word earlier, Elizabeth, traveling salesman. My dad was a traveling salesman for many years when I was growing up, and he would be gone for sometimes weeks at a time traveling to different territories. So it's not something that's new per se, but it definitely has become more of a trend. And something that I've noticed in addition to real estate is also commuting. Mm-hmm. Uh, commuting has become a nightmare for a lot of people because there there aren't places to live in the cities or they're too expensive. So people are moving further out. I know this was something I personally had an issue with when I first was here. I was living a little bit too far. In my Staten commute. Island? Yeah, Stat- <laughs> Staten Island, a borough of New York City. Go figure. It takes two hours to get uh, to Midtown each direction. And w- wouldn't you know, moving to a new state, moving to a different state in Connecticut <laughs> was the solution to solving that that problem. But I actually take the train with a couple power commuters and we've been talking lately and I call them power commuters because they live over two and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. And I think that anything beyond like- That's crazy. Yeah. That anything insane. beyond two hours, two and a half, that's a lot. And uh, it's always interesting to hear their stories. I like to ask kind of why, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> and um, one of them, she commutes because she works in a courthouse. And so she has to be there physically. She doesn't have the type of career that she can work remotely. Absolutely. And so I said, all right, I get that. But why do you live so far away? And she's like, well, I love where I live. And also they pay me the big bucks. So uh, it's worth it for me because I make a lot of money. So as far as trends go, I I have been noticing work-life balance is being recognized more. It hasn't, Mm -hmm. it's been something that people kind of pushed down um, for many years. And now it's starting to come to the light that a lot of people are just not happy with this commuting situation and uh, all that kind of stuff. And so it's great to see that a lot of employers are being more flexible with working from home. That's such a great point, Rebecca. And um, it's I, I think there have been people who've had those long commutes for for quite some time. And it was just viewed as a necessity yeah. and, you know, an unfortunate necessity. And I think there's kind of two trends there. The one is that, as you said, some of these methods of commuting have become more difficult. You're seeing problems, um, well publicized, the New York City, um, you know, subway system has mm-hmm. been and uh, the trains. experiencing <laughs> challenges. You're seeing that with New Jersey Transit, um, Metro North, which you take, Rebecca, and then you see it in DC as well. You see other areas of country that maybe don't have a public transit system um, or have a very limited one. Like we, we were talking about LA and San Francisco, oh, yeah. they have limitations. 
Um, and it's just really challenging. The roads are congested. And so, you know, commuting is getting worse. Plus, people are also recognized at the same time, maybe I don't want to be commuting four hours out of my day. I'd like to be at home. I'd like to be. And you don't need hobbies. to be. That's the yeah. honest truth. You can yeah. do it, you know, from Absolutely. home. So it's a, it's a good kind of confluence of maybe some bad things and then some good realizations about what makes you happier and healthier. Um, we'll include a link in the show notes to an infographic that we put together on work-life balance. That was our theme for last month. So I'm glad you brought that up, Rebecca. Um, so incredibly important. So we kind of have touched on this a little bit so far, but I think we can we can get into this a little bit more. Um, I know we all have very different backgrounds. We're kind of some different um, generations and experiences. So I'd love to hear from each of us your personal experience working remotely or managing a remote team. So I'll jump in here. Um, as I mentioned before, I've worked remotely on and off for my career. I'd say about 50% of my career has actually been working remotely. And I've also managed a remote sales team of road warriors. So I definitely have some experience in this area. And it's always, as I mentioned, interesting to hear others' experience with remote work. Uh, I was actually homeschooled my entire life until I went to college at 16. So for me, working remotely is only a natural thing. I know how to stay motivated and learn independently, which is really everything if you're considering working remotely. And uh, that's something that I've encountered and had a lot of conversations with people that either aren't comfortable working remotely 100% or mm-hmm. they can do it for a portion of it. So it's it, it all depends on the person, but it's a really interesting thing. It's funny that um, we've had this conversation before, I think, about working remotely in relation to you being homeschooled yes. and um, the difference in that. But I, I just want to say about I've seen that it's become so much more common from for people to work from home. And my background obviously is not as extensive because I just graduated from college last year. <laughs> um, but I look at friends who are also recent grads and there's a lot of flexibility and it's almost um, sometimes a perk when you're hired, um, being able to work from home if you want to. Um, and it's, it's all allowed because of technology. And in relation to what you said about being homeschooled, I actually thought, you know, I have tech, if you think about it in a college sense or a school sense, I never used to do my work in the library, whereas some people needed to to get their work done. Mm-hmm. I like to do it at home. And I guess that's the college version of working remotely that I perform better when I was at home and the snacks were near me <laughs> <laughs> versus, the, versus the library or the office. But yeah, I will say that uh, it's interesting because my siblings were also homeschooled as well. And we all have very different personalities and function better in, in different environments. But I remember when my brother went to college, he had a really hard time taking tests because he was so used to being alone in a room by himself, doing his work, taking his tests alone. You know, just that whole, just the dynamic of being in a room with other people, even though no one's paying attention to you was different. And, um, that caused him a lot of stress uh, to the point where they actually worked it out pretty cool where they allowed him to take his tests privately, which was good for him. Also, Ariana, as a current college student, I can confirm snacks are very, very important. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. And I think um, just what you guys have been both speaking to is so important. Uh, Personality is a big part of it. And I think we'll continue to discuss that um, over the rest of of our conversation today. But there are some people who really work well remotely, and there are others who might struggle with that. Some people really need that team interaction. Um, I personally don't especially like to work remotely. Um, I like to kind of keep my home home and keep work at work. Um, But other people find that easier or better for them. Yeah, I I adapted eventually, but I had a hard time when I started my first business. I worked from home and um, I wanted to keep my expenses down. 
And um, I found that what worked for me is getting into a routine because it's very tempting if you don't have to commute, like we've been talking about someplace, to maybe set the alarm clock a little later, not have to get up so early. But I really changed that pretty quickly and said, no, I'm going to create a set of what I consider to be business hours. And not only that, I actually changed into a um, shirt and tie. I didn't wear a jacket, <laughs> but I definitely wore a tie. And there was something ritualistic about putting it on and taking it off and being able to have that sense that once the tie was off, my day was done. Um, but to the snacks point, it's very tempting with the <laughs> kitchen to feet away not to go into the refrigerator it's every almost like minutes. it's looking at you <laughs> that's my biggest Calling problem when i work from home i was like i should cook lunch and i'm like two hours is probably not a wise use of my time it's um, funny charles that you say that about the outfit because that's the number one question whenever i tell people that i was homeschooled they say did you wear your pajamas every day <laughs> <laughs> i totally would yeah. um did you have to put on real clothes? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yes. But when it comes to working remotely, I actually put a blog post together, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well, um, about why to maybe encourage employees to work from home. And it, it can be green in a lot of ways. You know, you don't necessarily need as big of an office space, but what you were talking about clothes, that's just why I thought of it. Um, employees might not need to spend as much on uh, having work outfits. You don't necessarily have to have a dress code for people who work remotely. And so for people who are budget constrained, not having to have a, you know work-related clothing might be a good way to save money for them. Obviously, it doesn't have to be necessarily pajamas, but um, <laughs> there, there are options. Um, I actually have never personally worked remotely or managed a remote team. I've certainly worked from home on occasion. Um, but it's been interesting because I've seen both in this role and in my last job, I've worked with remote teams quite a lot. So in my last job, I was operations manager at an investment research company. And we had a team of CFAs who did the research for us, and they were all remote. And I had to manage the relationship with them. And um, it was interesting to see the dynamics of that. I had always worked previously with people who were in the same space as me to figure out how do you kind of stay in touch with them? How do you make sure when you're managing a project together and you have multiple people working, how do you kind of keep to deadlines and keep everybody involved and on the same page? So that was a great learning experience for me, which kind of led to um, when I started here, I wasn't originally hired to be a client-facing resource, but somehow, I think on my first day, I ended up managing one of our client accounts. And um, in our sales growth programs, we really often function um, in a way as providing some outsourced sales management. That really falls in the scope of the, the sales growth program. And um, we've worked with clients who have um, any kind of range of remote work on their sales team, some fully remote, you know, across the country, across the world, um, and others who are just in one office. And so seeing the different dynamics of how those teams work, kind of what works, what doesn't, what are the challenges they face has been um, really interesting for me. And I, I think I've, I've learned a lot just through those observations. It's, it's funny you mentioned global. I think time zones has been one of the biggest challenges, like getting everybody on a conference call when they're literally in every continent is oftentimes someone suffers right someone's either making the call at 11 p.m <laughs> or they're having to get up at 3 a.m to get on the conference call so yeah that that logistically can be a bit of a hassle 
Definitely. We, um, when we've had the international clients and you're just trying to find a time to meet. And unfortunately, I think, um, you know, we're based in the East Coast of the US. And to a certain extent, because there's so much business headquartered here, a lot of the world is used to accommodating themselves to us. And so we only discover how difficult it is when we're trying to work around somebody's schedule that's based in like Australia. Um, but people are used, you know, people on the West Coast even often start work at 6 or 7 a.m. because they want to be at work when those of us here. New York artwork. And I appreciate that I live in the place that's the center of the universe <laughs> as a non-morning person. So um, we, we talk about problems and challenges a lot. I think it's important to understand that while there are a lot of benefits to working remotely, there are definitely challenges to it. Um, so what challenges do you see managers facing as they're working with um, either partly or fully remote teams? Why don't we start with you, Charles? So there's a number of challenges. I think the hardest or the toughest challenge that I've seen managers have to grapple with is simply being available to their salespeople um, on an as-needed basis. And so one of the things that I found some of the um, best manager practices actually are is to block out some time and um, block that out ahead of time so people can uh, can make them uh, selves available to the rest of the team. I used to have 13 salespeople reporting to me, and that was in an office. That's a I, lot of direct reports. There's a lot of direct reports. I can't imagine what it would be like to um, have the same number uh, in, in a remote uh, setting. But I would say, you know, know what your limit is. Um, don't, don't take on too many people. Uh, share calendars, I think, is also very important so people can see where people are spending time. So if they want to schedule appointments with uh, either the manager or other people on the team, then it makes it easier to do that. Definitely. Um, I have kind of a similar thought when I was thinking about this is the biggest challenge that I see is making up for kind of what you miss by not having a team in the same office. And you, you really want to think about what are all of those little touch points that happen day to day when you work with people? Um, you are in the elevator with somebody, you're at the water cooler with somebody, they're at the desk next to yours or, you know, the cubicle next to yours. And you really get to know people personally. You can observe their work habits. Um, as a manager, you can very easily pull somebody over um, to give them immediate feedback or, you know, I heard you on the phone and this is what I observed. Um, as a sales rep, you have the ability to reach out easily to somebody and say, hey, you know, could you take a look at this email before I send it? Um, and it's very easy just to have that momentary communication um, within a context of kind of what's happening day to day. Um, it's also really easy when you're in the same office to share best practices. Um, you know, I noticed somebody doing this. Maybe I literally overheard them doing it or, you know, the manager notices it and shares it out. Um, there's even just that kind of commiseration that you can easily do with your colleagues of just, oh, you know, had to deal with that same problem again. Or, you know, um, I got cursed out by a customer or whatever it might be, um, that's something that you can easily do when you share space with people, you get to know them. And while I don't think, you know, excessive venting is maybe a good thing, sometimes it's helpful to be able to do that. And all of that you're missing out on um, when you don't share a space together. So when you're managing a remote sales team, it's, it's a challenge. You really have to figure out how do you replicate some or all of that with your remote team. And um, it's something that remote sales managers really need to think about how they're best going to do that. I'd say a major challenge for sales managers um, when managing remote employees is making sure that employees are being productive, mm -hmm. but also not doubting that just because they're working remotely, they're not doing their work. And I know that it's easy to think that 
everyone wants to just slack off, but um, it's their jobs. And usually if you hired the right people, they want to perform as well as you would want them to as well. Definitely. And uh, one of the dangers of that attitude can be micromanaging, which is bad in any office situation, but particularly for remote workers who are not in the office, it can feel like you don't trust them, that you actively think that they're not doing their work. So that's a problem that actually I faced as the general manager of the Cornell Glee Club because I had a lot of students. I was working with my friends. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of us and we all had all these different class schedules. And so we couldn't always meet together. So I figured out a way to, you know, just uh, not micromanage them by just regular checking in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and assuaging all of the doubts that I had about uh, what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, I think kind of what you guys both were just talking about is really that trust. Um, And that's such an important um, concept when it comes to remote work. And it's something that, Rebecca, you wrote a lot about in your ebook on uh, your guide to, you know, managing remote uh, employees, because it's such a critical component is to really trust the people that you work for and make sure that you have people that are trustworthy. Definitely. Yeah, I actually uh, ended up, there's a whole chapter just on trust, because I think that that is the most important thing when it comes to hiring remote salespeople is knowing what you can, as a manager too, knowing what can you take and what can't you, what, mm-hmm. what are you, what makes you uncomfortable and what are you comfortable with? And so my recommendation, or I really, the, the challenge, I guess that I'm pointing out here is to try to get ahead of the problem, because mm-hmm. one of the challenges that I see is that it's not the right fit for that role. Either yeah. that person has never worked remotely before, or they're not good at working remotely, or they needed more help at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the onboarding process when they're first hired. They need more training. They need more hands-on stuff before they're really set free. Yep, Um, they're kind of an island out there. Exactly, Uh, especially in the industry that I used to work in, which is the construction and insurance industry. That's all that they do. I mean, all of these um, these reps that are working for insurance carriers are out visiting their local agents. They're on their own all the time. So if you're not training them in the beginning and making sure that they are comfortable and they know what they're doing and you don't have set processes in place, that's when you're going to run into problems down the road, especially when it comes to the things like trust. Um, because like I said, not everyone is cut out for it, but at the same time, just because someone hasn't worked remotely, it doesn't mean they're incapable or a bad fit. Um, it's, it's really all about understanding personality. So I think that it's important during the hiring process, just make sure you have a rock solid hiring process followed by a great onboarding process, followed by a killer sales process that lives inside your sales playbook. And using things like behavioral assessments is going to help you figure out uh, that person's style, how they work, what they like, what they don't like, how they thrive. Um, so it's just really important to give remote employees the right tools and set them up for success from the beginning. You are an ebook and resource uh, pusher, Rebecca. <laughs> I just wrote down a note to put a couple of things in the show notes. So we'll include, we have um, an ebook about how to develop uh, a really powerful hiring process. We have an ebook about onboarding. Yep. Uh, we have an ebook about sales process. I think I wrote that run. And then we can talk about behavioral assessments. So we'll include all those links in the show notes, which again, you can find at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod six, seven. 
got to get those resources. Definitely. <laughs> so we've we kind of talked about challenges, and I think some of us got into a little bit of best practices and advice, but I really want to make sure we hear from everybody on best practices that we've seen managers use working with remote teams. Um, I can actually get us started. And this is based on what I was talking about before about kind of implementing more um, small touch points of communication. And a great practice that I've seen managers use is various ways to have those daily conversations. I've seen daily emails, um, sometimes daily chat threads. Um, it It's kind of all about just, again, fostering small touch points rather than expecting all communication to happen in big meetings, either once a week or once a month or once a year. So I've seen at one client, there was a manager who sent an email every morning with kind of the goals for the day. There was an update on the stats from the previous day, kind of how are we doing, you know, tracking toward our monthly goals. And then they also included um, I've seen different clients do this, maybe product or service updates if you have those, you know, what's in stock today, what's back ordered, um, what's on sale. Um, and then a really great thing to include is what are one or two stories or wins from the day before that you source from the team. And once you have this as a daily habit, that's going to remind the team that when they have a story, they need to send it to you so you can include it in the email the next day. And again, that's the kind of communication that would happen if you're in an office, but you're just forcing it through this email. Um, we have one client that posts daily threads in their chat platform. I think they're using Slack. Um, and it's things like inspirations. They ask questions. They engage the team. And then one client has a really interesting methodology. Um, they have 30 philosophies that they call their um, company way. And they have people across the organization that are assigned to write little emails every day um, about how they're applying those philosophies in their day-to-day -day work. And so they're hearing from all these different people on the team. So every day one email goes out and it's not a burden on any one person to have to write all of these emails. Like a, you know, the first example I gave, there's just one person who has to coordinate, you know, it's your turn to write an email about this one, it's your turn to write an email about this one and kind of collect them and send them. And mm -hmm. that's been a really interesting thing to see how that works. They've been doing it for years because everybody, everybody has a different way of implementing things. And so I can talk about one philosophy and how I implement it in my job. And if next month you talk about that same philosophy, you're going to implement it differently in your job. And that's been a really cool thing to see how that's worked. They've been doing it for years. You just made me uh, think of, of Dave over at PropFuel. I'll give him a little shout out. He has a tool that's a employee engagement tool that does some of those similar types of things, right? Yeah, we'll include a link to uh, the podcast where you interviewed him and also did did he do a webinar with us? He did. He did. But it's a podcast. So it, it's actually okay. a podcast recording. All right, perfect. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so when I worked in the restoration industry, I mentioned my team was all road warriors. So we were out every day visiting insurance agents in various territories. So it was really important that we were aligned and that we were all following a repeatable process. So the way that we functioned is we would meet Monday mornings and review the week ahead together. So we talk about what were our individual KPIs for the week, which essentially for us, our biggest KPI was how many visits we were going to make because our visits, when it all boils down, you want to know how much of that's going to convert, right? So we had to visit at least 50 offices in order to get to our number. So we knew that going into it. But then there was something else that we did as a best practice that was a really cool thing um, on a remote team. And that was that we also had challenge KPIs is what we called them. Mm -hmm. And it was just something to make things interesting. So it would vary, it would be something different, um, but it would add a different layer and kind of a gamification to it without being too much of a competition. One of my favorite ones was when we would do new sales presentations. So we would have different themes for the month that, that we were focusing on when we would make our visits because we wanted our visits to be valuable. And so sometimes we would come up with a couple of slides 
to show people and that you know it wasn't anything crazy it wasn't anything too salesy but it was something to help us get the conversation started about the topic we wanted to to bring up you know it was a conversation starter so that was a challenge kpi and at the end of the week we would say all right how many sit down how many sit downs did you get of, of you know people that were willing to hear you out on these slides that you came up with whether it was 10 or 20 or whatever the case was it was just something that was kept us together, kept us engaged. And then at the end of the week, we would say, oh, I got to present 10 times. And this one person said, I never heard that before. That's really interesting or whatever the case was. And it was just a cool learning experience. And it made um, KPI seem not as terrible as they can sometimes be. <laughs> Definitely. And it sounds like um, something we were talking about earlier, uh, not in the recording, uh, is it made competition maybe not as bad as it could yes. be. Because we often see that when it comes to sales, people have this perception, all salespeople are competitive, all competition is good, let's just pit them against each other and they'll do fine. And when there is relationship, when they know each other and like each other, um, you can do quite a lot of competition and it can work out really well. You know, yeah. we've seen where you might have a board on the wall that shows everybody's stats in real time. There's still, there are people who find that demotivating. You have to be really careful about how people are motivated. I will include a link to that motivation <laughs> ebook in the show notes. But when it comes to a remote team, you have to be a lot more careful because they don't know each other as well, typically. Yeah. And um, it can be really easy when you're feeling kind of it's, you know, I'm, I'm on an island, it's me against the world, you know, what, whatever the perception is. And then you're also being pitted against you know, the only people who are kind of in the same situation as you, it can be very isolating. So you have to be especially careful when it comes to competition. Definitely. Um, Gamification can be great, but you have to make sure that it's not in an aggressive way. There was actually once where there was one competition where we were pitted against each other and I refused to participate. I was like, I'm not doing that. Forget it. Because I knew that it, it wasn't motivating to me and it wasn't good for the other people on my team. Like it wasn't good for us. So yeah. we pushed back and it it was what it was. But something else that um, I want to throw out there in terms of best practices is just making sure that at the end of the day, everyone remembers and realizes that you're all working for the same goal. Definitely. You know, you're on the same team. <laughs> so yeah, it's important not to and forget KPIs that. And KPIs and goals are a good way to, to get back to that. Definitely. Well, I'm going to head back to the technology aspect of working remotely and say that um, I think it's a common practice that managers managing remote salespeople use technologies like Slack, what you mm -hmm. were talking about. And I just want to point, I want to, I read an article, I think yesterday, and this, it's kind of ironic and it kind of shows how um, working remotely and working in an office may be very similar because of the work that everyone's doing these days and how it's all digital. But I was reading an article about open office space and how they did a, um, they researched, I think it was 300 workers and they made them wear these like interaction necklace that tracked their movement and their heart rate and um, whether or not they were speaking with people. And basically, if you're working in an open office space, you're 70% less likely to interact with your coworkers. So I think the number dropped from close to six hours of face-to-face -face communication to 1.3 hours of face-to-face -face communication. And it's because everyone's so nervous about not looking like they're doing work that they don't talk <laughs> to each other. But then again, on Slack, it said there was a 90% increase in like instant message and email messaging. Um, mm. So that's just an interesting, it goes to show that maybe, you know, 
it's becoming more natural for people to communicate this way and that yeah. it's not the biggest deal for remote workers because if they were in an open office space, they'd be doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah. The thing that's interesting about that, Ariana, too, with the with the apps and stuff, because I know my husband works remotely from time to time and they have a platform where they all communicate, whether they're in the office or they're not, because they have teams everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to observe from the outside and see kind of who works at odd hours and who's working on the weekend. And it's interesting because I I can't tell, you know, I'm perceiving from the outside. I don't know Mm -hmm. any of these people, but it's kind of like, it makes me curious. Yeah. You know, why are you working uh, at 10 p.m. on Friday night? Um, But, you know, (laughs) they need some more. Maybe they live in California and it's really not 10 p.m. I don't know. Or some people just like working at 10 p.m. I mean, you know, as a college student, I work at 10 p.m. True. All the time. That's early for me, actually. Yeah. I'm a night owl, so I definitely, Mm -hmm. but I I would prefer not to be working. Definitely different in college. Definitely different in college. So, uh, building off what's been said before about technology and also those uh, little touch points of communication. Um, it's really important as a manager uh, working with remote salespeople or partly remote salespeople to figure out a balance between passive and active uh, checking in. Mm-hmm. So uh, nowadays with you know software and uh, emails, you know CRMs, you can see a lot of the work that uh, your salespeople, your team are doing. Uh, and you don't have to ask about that. You can just see the numbers and know that, oh, this person has been doing really well this month, or uh, this person hasn't been doing as well. Um, And that's important because the fact that um, communication has to be more intentional, communication has to be more intentional and more thought out when you're working with a remote sales team, you need to not bother your sales team as much. <laughs> yeah, it kind of goes into what you were saying earlier about micromanagement. Um, we, I've heard of uh, managers who said to their teams, I promise you I'm never going to ask you for information that you have put into the CRM system. I might ask you to expand on it or ask questions about it, but I'm not going to ask you for something that I can look for in a report because it's a waste of everybody's time and it's kind of micromanaging. <laughs> yeah, and um, building off of that, Uh, It is also important to have some form of active method, though, Mm -hmm. um, because you need to make sure that everybody is on the same page. And that that can't always be communicated uh, via uh, software, via Slack. You need to have some face-to-face communication. So whether that's a conference call, whether that's an actual video chatting thing, or depending on uh, the work situation, a physical meetup, uh, that is important. It's important to not do one or the other. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, we always encourage on-sites at least once a year to have an on-site kind of meetup, team building, sales training. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's what you look like. We have like. a client that <laughs> has a remote, not just sales, but everybody, and um, works remote, and they do block parties once a quarter. Um, obviously, there's an expense of flying people in and putting them up in a hotel, but uh, if you can afford it, I think it's definitely a good idea. Yeah, it can be really worth it when it comes to culture. Totally. And um, yeah. so important to think about your culture, focus on your culture, and understand just the importance of, you know, when you work together as a team, you want to be a team. Yeah. And you can't really do that if you don't know people. 
what I like about this particular client is they do, I'd say, 50-50 fun activity, team building activity, uh, as well as business activity. But yeah. um, I'll build on what I said earlier about, uh, I think a best practice that I've seen managers use as they work with their remote sales team is an extension of what I talked about uh, when I developed an individual practice. I think you can extend that to a team. My individual practice was based on a routine. If you can get a team into a routine, I think that also helps. I think one of the things I talked about that I'd like to expand on is a manager blocking out, say, the afternoon of every other Thursday of the month Mm-hmm. for salespeople um, on a first-come, first-served basis to allocate maybe 30-minute blocks of time to interact with the manager. I would actually say the best thing to recommend in that situation is not to replace that with one-on-one time that you would have, like reviewing a pipeline, but I mean blocking out time for prospecting activity or joint Uh, presentation activities so oftentimes you'll have a salesperson wants to bring their manager in to either close a deal or do a demo or just be that senior presence Mm -hmm. in the conversation and I can't tell you how many examples I've seen where the salesperson is trying to chase down the manager because their time is so blocked out and it's difficult to get on their schedule and if you think about it that's going to extend the sales cycle. So having those open slots available for people for, for that type of activity, I think is a good thing. Definitely. And even just, um, you'll have some salespeople on the team who might be more apt to request their manager's time and leverage the manager as a resource. And so um, it's really easy for the manager to just think, you know, here are the easy reps that always ask for me to be involved. Yeah, you don't want to monopolize that time. Yeah, but then there are other reps who just don't think of that or don't think it's appropriate or don't have as strong of a relationship with the manager. So it's really important as a manager also to balance, just kind of track that. Am I always going on sales calls with these two reps, but there are these three other reps that I never go on sales calls with? You really have to balance that out. Definitely. And then one other thing I think is a good practice, which may sound micromanaging, but it's actually the opposite, is daily huddles. And they Mm -hmm. can be nothing more than 15 minutes long. And again, it could be if it's a large group on a call doing a daily huddle, it could just be two or three people taking it in turns or even the manager just giving an update. Um, So everyone kind of starts their day knowing what's going on and more importantly, feeling connected to the rest of the team. Definitely. Um, So we've been talking a lot about uh, kind of sales managers. And from the management perspective, we know most of our audience are managers and leaders. But we do also have quite a lot of salespeople who listen to the podcast. And we love um, we love your perspective as well. So I thought we could talk for a bit about what can remote salespeople do um, to better manage themselves and be better employees for their own managers? Why don't we start with you, Charles? Ian, you're going to love this. So um, you mentioned avoid micromanagement. Mm-hmm. I really believe that, uh, and I just did this myself when I used to be a salesperson, the best way to avoid micromanagement is to be proactive. Mm-hmm. Not wait for someone to tap you on the shoulder or call you and ask for updates or ask for the report, but proactively give information. Um, it could be in the form of weekly reports or requests mm-hmm. Um, and book appointments as far ahead of time as possible. You know, if you know something important's happening, 
um, don't wait uh, three or four days before an, an important event to try to get on someone else's calendar. So I think that's important. Mm -hmm. And um, one other thing that I think remote sales people could really benefit from, and that is a time management workshop. It could mm -hmm. be something that's delivered internally or go out. There's plenty of time management workshops out there. You could even do it online. But I think getting a handle on managing your time when you're working remotely is really important. Definitely. You know that I love time management, Charles. <laughs> I think I know what's coming next. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But I wanted to start by saying salespeople, just keep track of everything that you do. Um, take really good notes after every call after every visit put them in your crm that is the number one way for your manager to actually be able to help you if you are failing to close deals convert deals turn prospects into customers when your manager goes in and looks at your call notes and sees that you know you're not talking about the right things or that you don't have call notes it's really hard to help in that situation. Yeah. Um, that was really the thing for me that helped me to be successful was it was all about language. It's all about what you talk about. Mm -hmm. And working that out in your notes and just really making sure that, all right, every time I go in there, my process is I'm going to say this, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna ask for business. You know, you have to you have to ask for the business, first of all. Uh, just a little note there for those of you that sell. <laughs> That's definitely something to do. So that's uh, important. Enter Definitely. notes into your CRM. And then to Charles's point, time block. Definitely. I'm shocked. Time block. Shocked that you have recommended Here that somebody would recommend time blocking. <laughs> there is an ebook on this. There is. We've got an ebook on this. And it gives some different ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. <laughs> it gives some different ideas of different ways that um, you can manage your time and, and work in time blocks. This was something that worked really well for me as a remote road warrior salesperson was time blocking my days every single day following the time block auditing the time block and uh so yeah recommend that yeah time blocking <laughs> is super super important i do it all the time even as a student um my dad always says work will expand to fill the time allotted for it um so if you say oh i have today to do this task <laughs> it'll take the day to do that task mm -hmm. um but if you say, I need, this is a two-hour task, I'm going to get it done in these two hours, it'll get done. And you will have more time to uh, do other things. Uh, one of the time blocking techniques that I've used and I really enjoy is called the Pomodoro Technique. Uh, it's uh, really nice. There's apps for it on your computer and your phone. Uh, you set a timer for 25 minutes and you get as much done as you can in those 25 minutes. And then you take a five-minute break. And, it's, and you repeat the process four times and then you take a longer break and then you can do another set of Pomodoros. And it's really nice because you don't get burnt out working on one task. You can uh, you know, take little breaks, you can check Facebook, you can catch up with friends, but you're still being productive. And at the end of the day, you've gotten a lot of stuff done, but you don't feel so tired and so just exhausted from continuous working. Yeah. And actually, that's a good something to point out here is that most of us are working on our computers. So mm. our eyeballs are looking at these screens all day long, uh, kind of torturing them. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually some a couple different, I guess it's not really an app. It's a 
a plug-in, right, Elizabeth, yeah. to help with your vision. I think we talked about this Yeah, we before. talked about it in our last conversation. I'll include a link in the show notes as well. Um, we use one called Flux, F dot L-U-X. Um, you, even just changing the, the look of your computer screen. Um, yeah. It reduces the blue light, increases the orange light. Um, and it's so important just, uh, you know, to even what you were saying, you need time management techniques, but you also need physical workspace techniques yeah. Um, yeah. that are going to help Keep your you. desk clean. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that one. All right, so I'll, I'll go. Um, my advice for remote employees is to be an open book and to send either daily or weekly reports to basically make it so your manager trusts you and will never need to worry about your productivity. Um, this way, you're kind of just putting out all on the table, you know, maybe every day or every week, like I said, and they don't have to chase you because they rely on you and they know that you are open with your information and that you're doing your job. Definitely. I kind of was thinking along the same vein as you, Ariana, and I think um, all of you guys have kind of covered what I was going to talk about. But, um, you know, it's it's all about as a salesperson, you do your part to help your manager know they can trust you and you're doing the right things. And then that gives you more flexibility. Um, you know, Rebecca and I had a good conversation in our last webinar, episode 63. Um, I'll include a link to that in the show notes, but it is criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod. Four, six, three. Um, but notes help you be a better salesperson. It makes your job easier. And you really need to understand as a salesperson, there's stuff um, that you are asked to do that is good for you and makes your life easier. Your manager is hopefully not trying to make your life difficult. You know, the process is designed to work and to help um, you be more successful. And so you need to figure out how do you make the process work best for you? There might be some parts that are easier, that are more align with your working style. And then there will be some parts that are a challenge. And um, you need to earn the right by following the process to then maybe, if necessary, request a change to the process. You can speak up. You can give feedback. Um, you could maybe add, remove, or change fields in the CRM. Um, and a lot of times what happens is, you know, you have reps who are complaining and they're saying, I want things to change, but they haven't really earned the respect and the trust um, for that change to be made. But if you follow the process, you execute, you do what's expected, um, you're kind of a good citizen, then you can make those requests and then it's likely going to benefit all those other people on your team as well who maybe um, want that uh, but didn't know to ask for it or didn't know how to ask for it. So it's really important um, kind of to manage up, especially when you're remote, you kind of have more responsibility um, to a certain extent than when you're in an office because you have to kind of pull management to you and, and be pushing information to them uh, in a more intentional way um, because otherwise you can be kind of invisible out there. Mm -hmm. So important. Um, so as always, our last question is uh, intended to be really actionable. So what is one piece of actionable advice um, that each of us wants to share that our listeners can apply today to improve their remote team management? And I'm going to start. Mine is uh, short but sweet. Um, I would recommend that managers schedule a one-on-one -on -one recurring call with each of your reps um, on a pace that makes sense for you. Um, you'll It'll depend on the size of the team and the frequency of other meetings. If you have a weekly call with everybody, um, you maybe don't need to talk as often. If you only get together as a group once a month, you might want to talk one-on-one -on -one more often. So vary the pace that makes sense. But you want to make sure to talk to each rep one-on-one -on -one at least once a month. Um, you really don't want reps out there in the field not interacting with you for more than a month. That's a risk. Yeah, definitely. And use your sales playbook. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the goal page in the sales playbook. That's my favorite feature. So I'll just mention that um, we have a digital sales playbook platform and we use the weekly goals page each week to manage what we're doing. So this is a great place for each of your reps 
to put in their KPIs for the week, what they're working on that week, and for you as the manager to be able to take a look at that and say, all right, this makes sense, this looks good, or this doesn't look doable this week, this is too much or too little. Um, so it really helps with that. And then as you're going, if you're if you're the rep, if you're the salesperson, as you're going through your week, you can cross off each of those items. And if you're the manager, it's also important to make goals for yourself as well. Definitely. So if Rebecca is the time block person <laughs> on the team, I'm the process person in terms of the playbook. And so one thing I would recommend, really two things. One, have a, your remote, have a start of day process, like how do you start your day so you can get to work as quickly as possible. And maybe it's just a short checklist of go through email, go through calendar, set your goals, whatever it is. But I also think almost nobody uh, that I know does this, and I think it's a really good habit. I, I did it when I worked from home, again, when I started my business, and that's have an end-of-day process. And so I might have my checklist, but included in my end-of-day process was, don't laugh, but I used to actually get a candle and put it on my <laughs> I'm gonna laugh. table and light it up and get all spiritualized and candled up and kind of do Did a little... Did you take your tie off? <laughs> I, after I took my tie off and um, really gave myself a few moments, it could be minutes, could have been like 10 minutes even, to reflect on what I produced for the day. And it's funny because working from home, starting a business... It goes with the territory that for a considerable amount of time, you're not going to generate any revenue. So what are you going to celebrate? Well, I can tell you what I celebrated. I celebrated making my dials. My goal was 10 dials a day. So I'd light my candle and I'd almost have a two-way conversation, like there were two people in the room when there was only me. Well, and, your dog um, was there. That's true, Bucky. <laughs> my golden retriever was at my feet. I, would, I talked to him a lot. He was listening. <laughs> he was listening. <laughs> and I'd say, uh, did you generate any revenue? Nope. Uh, <laughs> did you pay your bills today? Nope. Uh, well, what did you do today? Well, I made my dials. And so for me, at least I got some gratification and was able to kind of close out my day by having attained at least one of mm -hmm. my goals. Um, I just want to jump in there because there's a podcast I love called Happier um, with Gretchen Rubin. And they did an episode, and I'll try to find a link to it and put it in the show notes. And they talked about um, having, you you know, you have your to-do list, having a ta-da list. Um, and always <laughs> thinking about um, what have you accomplished? Because yeah. it's so easy to focus on all those things that are outstanding, that are kind of hanging over you of like, oh, I have all these things I need to accomplish and I haven't done them. What did you, what did you accomplish? What did you do? Um, and at the end of the day, just having that process of like, what are my accomplishments? What are my ta-da's yeah. as opposed to my to-do's? Um, it's, a, it's a really good practice just to make you feel better. And especially um, when you're working from home mm. to transition you into a good mood so that, you know, if you're interacting with family or friends or whatever your your life is kind of after, yeah. after you shut off work, um, gets you into a, a happier, better space. Well, you know, we've been plugging some friends of CFS. So I'll take this opportunity to plug another friend of CFS and that's Joe Applebaum. And um, he's done a number of podcasts and uh, webinars with us. And um, he's a personal friend, and I know him for a, a number of years. And now here I am. I'm not re working remotely, but I still have my end-of-day process. I think you guys would think it was a little weird if I started lighting up a candle at my desk, <laughs> besides it even being a fire hazard. But um, one thing he taught me that I have built into my end-of-day, 
process. And I love what you said, Elizabeth, about like a tada. I add something that Joe told me, and that is um, something he does, and now I've taken it on, and that is to think of three things I'm grateful for and three people I helped. Mm -hmm. And again, it's one of those celebrations, uh, make you feel good at the end of the day. And uh, I don't always do it, but after this podcast, I'm definitely going to do it today. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. And hopefully a ta-da today um, is going to be, you know, accomplishing something that maybe uh, you didn't think you could accomplish. And I think that's always, when you focus on accomplishments, sometimes it stretches you to achieve more than even you, you could have thought. Definitely. I really hope that today you light Elizabeth's candle, though. For your <laughs> end of day I do have a candle on my desk. She does have a candle. Yep. I just have to say something funny. It's related to the Tada list. I was watching a show and it, they were like in Denmark and they were saying to some group of girls, why are you guys the happiest country in the world? And the girl goes, honestly, because we have no expectations. We wake up and we say, well, the weather's probably gonna be terrible and cold, miserable. And then the sun will come out and then we're happy. <laughs> I was like, that's one way to go about life. Yeah, like, super low expectations. I have no expectations. Um, but as for a piece of actionable advice, besides having low expectations, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would say, um, you really need a sales playbook, as everyone has said before. Um, it's really hard for remote salespeople to ask questions and get ideas from one another when they are working remotely. And um, in a playbook, you can have forums that make collaboration and learning really easy and communication, and it's saved. So it's not like private messages in, in Slack. It's uh, something that the whole team can learn from. Definitely. Yeah, forums are an awesome feature to have in a playbook. You can start lots of conversations and share success stories. I know Elizabeth probably has a couple of examples. We've had clients over the years use those forums in the team section mm -hmm. of the playbook. And they purposefully chosen not to make those forums about business. And so I can't, can you remember some of the things like we've the book seen? Club. Book yeah, love. yeah, and we Book talked about it a lot in episode sixty-three as well. But you know, um, forms about and conversations. Again, you could do this in Slack or anywhere. It's good to do it in your playbook. Um, what are you passionate about? Um, what's a funny thing that happened to you today? Um, a book club, you know, share a book that you're interested in and um, start a discussion about it. Um, even just what are you know what would you change if you could change anything about the way that we work? Um, you you want to make sure when you're implementing any sort of a, a kind of forum or chat feature that it doesn't turn into a place for people to complain. Mm -hmm. um, you want it to be productive and positive, and that's a really important dynamic to, to focus on. If you have road warriors, having a funniest story, funniest visit of the week is always <laughs> yes. fun. That's that good. could be a really fun thing to do. I mean, if you work in an office, it's always great to hear the stories in person. Um, so you might even have yeah. people submit videos if, if you wanted to make it an actual kind of comedy type of situation. Definitely. <laughs> and again, it's those small touch points mm -hmm. um, that you want to enable. Definitely. We'll All give right. Ian the last word. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm in the catbird seat now. Um, so uh, my little piece of advice from my uh, own experience, not just as a manager, but, uh, you know, as a friend and as a person, is to really pay attention to the wording of your text communication. Because uh, working with remote uh, people you know, most of your communication isn't by voice. It's by emails. It's by Slack messages. And a lot of times the nuance and the context and tone that you want to convey uh, with a message doesn't translate. Uh, and there's actually been research about this that 
neutral messages or even happy messages uh, that uh, are sent via text can actually be perceived very negatively, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I'm not sure why that happens, but it does. So you need to be careful about what kind of language language you are using and maybe make it a little happier, maybe make it a little bit more positive than uh, maybe you think it needs to be or even want it to be so that the real intention of your message gets across. Definitely. So much of communication is not the words that we speak. Um, it's body language, it's tone, all things that can come out, you know, best in person, okay over the phone, and then worst in text. You know, I think a lot of people, I use so many exclamation points in emails. There's kind of, there's a a debate online about how many exclamation points to use. That can help. Um, Emoticons are very, uh, you know, controversial whether you should use those. But you think about how often, you know, as soon as um, emojis came out, um, we immediately started putting them in all of our text messages. Um, And it's, it's a way to make sure that the text says what you want it to send. You're like, this is the face that I am making. Probably not really the face you're making. Um, But it really helps and it's so hard to communicate um, tone well and as a manager yes, especially definitely. you need to be really um, really paying attention to that because you don't want to come off as being um, angry or domineering and that can come out over text. Just something as simple as replying to someone and just saying thanks can yeah. come across so flat. Yeah, um, I have received that before and been like, where's my smiley? Where's my exclamation? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't understand. Sarcastic thanks? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. A like, lot of oh, times thanks. it can look really passive aggressive or sarcastic. There's something about how we read text, I think, mm-hmm. that turns our passive aggressive meters like up. Um, so really important to pay attention to that. Great point, Ian. Um, so great conversation today, everybody. Uh, thank you so much to lis- for listening to Let's Talk Sales. And thank you, everybody here for participating in today's discussion. You can find the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod six seven. There are going to be a ton of resources in those show notes. Um, next week, we're going to have a special Q&A episode where Charles and Rebecca will be responding to listener questions about remote teamwork, as well as any other topics. Unfortunately, by the time this episode airs, it's going to be a little too late to submit your questions, but make sure to tune in anyway. We got a ton of great questions, and I'm sure it's going to be a great episode. They haven't recorded it yet, but it's going to be a good one. Um, in the meantime, make sure to stay tuned for this Friday's inspiration where I'll be sharing a powerful quote from Lee Iacocca. Beginning next month, we're going to be talking and writing about driving innovation, both in sales and more generally on the CFS blog. You can check that out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. And in August, I will be actually releasing an ebook about driving innovation within your team. And I'm really excited to share that with you. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you find your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. This will help more people find the show and lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Rebecca Toomey, Ariana Miskell, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling! <laughs>